0: Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, onto to this week's message. One of the things I find so odd about Major League Baseball is the obsession that baseball people have with stats and records. And it's, if you're a stat nerd or a statistician or you like data, you know, like it's, it's wonderful, I guess. Like, because they, they really get into it. They really get into it in baseball. It's like, oh, this, it's not just like home runs and stuff. It's like, here's their on-base percentage. And here's his batting average versus left-handed pitchers. And it's like, all right, stop with this. Can we just play? Maybe that's why I'm a little more of a soccer guy. I'm like, there's not a lot to track here. We're just running around kicking the ball. Like, let's just keep it simple, right? But um, they also have records that, that, that they track in, in, in all pro sports, right? But in, in baseball, it's records. And, and some of those records make a ton of sense to me. This guy hit the most amount of home runs ever. This guy stole the most amount of bases. This guy, most strikeouts, whatever. Like, I, I get the records. But there was one that was a couple years ago that was broken. And uh. Uh, It was Cal Ripken and if you, uh, if anyone's a a Baltimore fan or you remember shortstop for uh, for Baltimore, Cal Ripken broke the record and if you remember this was in 1998, Uh, the record that he broke was um, the most games played in a row without missing a game. It was 2,632 if you want to know. That's a lot of games because you're only going to play 162 years, so this is like decades of, you know, so it's a a lot of games, right? but I, I just, I'm a little underwhelmed. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you about, about that. I'm just like, uh, he showed up to work every day for a long time. And, I mean, can we just give him a pen or something and be like, thanks for coming to work? I don't, it's weird, right? I told, I told it to my son, Eamon. Uh, I was telling him about it because, you know, before he was born, I was like, yeah, Cal Ripken broke a record. Do you know what it was? He's like, why? I was like, it's the most games played in a row. And Eamon, being the funniest, bearish kid, said um, he was like, that is the most participation trophy award ever. It's Like, congratulations, you were very participatory. Like, you showed up. This guy, was he good? He was all right, but he was there. Every time, you know, rain or shine, except baseball, they don't play it in the rain, so shine, he was there. Whenever it shined, that guy showed up. And I was like, I mean, that is, a little bit, is the way it feels. I'm like, why do we make a big deal out of this? He just showed up to work, right? But. I will say, and they called him the Iron Man and all this stuff because he kept showing up or whatever. I will say, as I get older, I do appreciate the faithfulness of it. I appreciate someone who puts in a shift and is able and willing to do it day after day, year after year, decade after decade. There is something really admirable about that. And there's something in that I think we've lost a bit of that in, in our culture, that that idea of faithfulness. That you would remain faithful to the job, that you would show up and always put a shift in and really do your work and, and and stay faithful to that job. That you would remain faithful to your spouse, that you're in this thing for richer for poorer, sickness and health till death do you part. You're in this marriage day after day, year after year, decade after decade. There's there's something to that. Faithful to your, to your kids, that you show up, you're there for them. When they have their highs and their lows, you're going to still show up and, and help them. Or, or even the idea of being faithful to God, that you signed up for a relationship with God, and there's been hard times, and there's been some ups and downs, but you are still there, still showing up, still saying, God, I want to be in a relationship, and I want to I figure this thing out. The concept of faithfulness shows up in the new testament we have been in this whole series going through the fruit of the spirit that's listed in galatians chapter 5. what i've really enjoyed about this is that our teens are looking at this on wednesday night Our uh the the kids and a10 kids right now are looking at this on sunday morning as well so uh, across all generations we're all talking about these same concepts for the first eight weeks or so of this year and um i wanted us to memorize these because i think these are the qualities that we should be growing in you're gonna american culture will give you qualities to grow in become more successful become more aggressive become more ambitious become you know get more vacations or whatever there'll be things that you're supposed to be doing out there but at the end of the day i think these are the character qualities of the person that you really are and who who you are becoming and so i want to i'm going to read them we've been reading them every week just read these with me aloud let's just do this together But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the word faithfulness shows up in there, and it's a a translation of the Greek word uh, pistis, which uh, often gets translated as faith. And then in this context, it's translated as faithfulness. And it's actually a very important word because if you think about the value of faith in the Christian life and how often it gets mentioned and how often Jesus says, oh, this person had faith and how often we're commanded to have faith and how we live by faith and, 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 and all of that, it's a really important word. And it's a really important concept. And, and we have all the definitions of what faith is. Faith is believing in something you can't see or putting your trust in something you, when, you, when you don't have all it worked out. You know, it's faith is like when you don't have 100% certainty, but you make a 100% commitment. Like we have all of these ideas about faith. And I think all of those are, are, are good and, and fine. Um, but I actually think a lot of times when we talk about faith, we end up talking about it like it's a one-time event. Oh, Like I had faith and that's what got me through in that moment or whatever. Whereas I think the word um, faithfulness implies this, like, ongoing faith. It's, it wasn't a one-time thing. It's something you you had and continue to have. I think that's a, a, a pretty good understanding of the Greek word, that, that faithfulness is really what we're, we're after here. We're not talking about one-time events. We're talking about long, long-term. Uh, an an uh, author that I like uh, started using... Uh, because we, in the Christian world over the last 500 years, we've talked about salvation by faith alone is what a lot of Christians will say, a lot of churches will say. And he's gotten to start saying of salvation by allegiance alone, because the word allegiance is getting closer to the word pistis in Greek. It's getting closer to this idea of, no, it's not just mental assent to something that you believe, but it is a An allegiance. We we almost never use that word in our culture except when we're pledging allegiance to a flag. But what we mean by that is I am I am in with this thing and I am supportive of this thing and I am loyal to this thing forever, my undying love for God and country or the king or whatever. And I think that word actually works really well. We are citizens. If you're a Christian, you're a citizen of a different kingdom, and and you should have faithfulness or allegiance to that kingdom. Um, and you have that undying love and support to, to Jesus. I think that's a better way to read the word faith in the New Testament is this faithful idea, this the idea of allegiance. It is a way of life. It is a day-to-day showing up, decade after decade. Now, the Spirit of God is at work in you, and one of the things he's trying to do in your life is to make you more faithful and, and build up your faithfulness and, and enable you and empower you to basically keep showing up and, and showing up day after day and, and, and stick with your faith even through hard times. Well, how does he do that? Well, one way I think we could look at it is before we get into faithfulness is to understand what is the opposite of faithfulness. So the opposite of faithfulness we would think is unfaithfulness. Like that one seems pretty obvious, right? But author J. Kim, who wrote Analog Christian, which I, I have mentioned is sort of in the background of this series for me, and uh, I really appreciate a lot of his thoughts, he contrasts faithfulness with forgetfulness. So faithfulness is, you know, showing up day after day and, and doing the thing. Forgetfulness is getting far off track because you forgot why you would even show up in the first place. Um, and I think you see the, the concept of forgetfulness um, show up. Quite a bit, or the or the need to remember show up quite a bit in the scripture. In fact, if you go back thousands of years to the Exodus story, um, the Israelites were slaves in in Egypt for 400 years, up until about 1446 or something BC. And at that time, God calls Moses and said, "Lead the people out of lead a million Israelites who are slaves in Egypt. Lead them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and I'm going to give them a promised land. I'm going to give them a space of their own. So there's a million or so Israelites and uh, and incredible things happened during that exodus. Uh, You've probably heard some of these, maybe you've seen the Prince of Egypt, whatever, some dramatization of it. But God Works through Moses, speaks to Pharaoh, and 10 plagues fall on the Egyptian people. The the Nile River turns to blood. It's crazy. There's a plague of locusts and and all this. There's a death of the firstborn Egyptian kids and all this. It's it's rough. It's wild stuff that goes on. God clearly shows up, does miraculous things, and Pharaoh lets the people go. And the Israelites leave Egypt, and on their way out, they come to the edge of the Red Sea. And uh, God instructs the people to go through the Red Sea, and so Moses lifts up his staff, and and basically the Red Sea parts, the waters part. They roll up like a scroll. The Israelites walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. The Egyptian army is chasing them. The Egyptian army comes into the water. God closes up the water, and the whole Egyptian army is washed away. Now, that sounds like nonsense. Nonsense. To the modern world, this sounds like just an ancient tall tale and a story. I mean, if you're coming in here and you have no church background, you're like, mm, okay, it always gets weird in church. This is when it gets weird, um, I, and I get that when you when you read this stuff. Um, let me just tell you where, where, where I'm at with it, because there's a lot of ways to explain things like that away. You can you can say that didn't really happen. This is just how ancient cultures write their victory stories. They write themselves as the hero and they exaggerate and whatever. You could say that. You could say the Red Sea wasn't literally, you know, they didn't literally go through it. It was more of a metaphorical idea of them going through hard times and something like that. You can, you can try to rewrite all of these things based on our modern 21st century Western understandings of the world. And I guess I, my pushback on that is this. Um, I do think it happened. I, I think there were plagues. Uh, I, I think there were slaves in Israel. Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and they left. And I think God allowed them to part through the Red Sea. And, and all of it, as it is written, I think it happened. Um, and you may think that's crazy. And I guess I would just say, um, I am open to the possibility of the miraculous. And maybe you are, maybe you aren't. But I, I, I just… If, if the universe exist. And the universe is incredible. And the more we get into science and astronomy and all like, if the universe um, was spoken into existence by a powerful creator, that creator rolling back a Red Sea is easy. Like, no problem. Like, why would that even be hard for him? A virgin birth, not a problem. He can work that out. Like, I, I just think if you're open to the miraculous, then these things aren't that hard to buy. I'm not saying these things happen all the time. That's why they're miracles. Oh, there's everyday miracles. Okay. Um, but for the most part, these things are unusual and they're recorded, right? So I, if you're open to the miraculous, and I am, I don't know about you, but I'm open to the miraculous and, and the idea that our modern uh, understanding of science, physics, uh, you just the way the world works, I think those things are great. I just think they don't explain everything that, that happens in the human experience, I think there's an entire spiritual world that doesn't fit well under a microscope. I just think there's other things going on than we write about in school textbooks in the Western world in the 21st century, okay? So that's, that's sort of like my, my full disclosure. We could probably spend more time on that, but let's, let's go on. Imagine you're an Israelite. You have gone through that experience. You're on the other side of the Red Sea. You're setting up camp. You're wandering through the desert with a million of your close friends, and God is feeding the people with this weird food, manna, every day. He's feeding the people. So your, your needs are taken care of. But you lived through the Exodus, so you saw what God did. You saw the plagues. You saw the Nile River turn to blood. You saw the death angel pass over and people died. It was this powerful thing. You saw this, the red. I mean, I imagine if you and, like, your kids, you know, like, if you walked through the Red Sea while it had parted and you went through and you saw the, like, you'll never forget that, right? Like, that's a life-changing, life-altering. It's a defining moment of your life in you and your family. Like you will never forget what God did. God was so powerful. God, we were slaves every day. The, the Egyptians were whipping us. We we're working hard. It's horrible life. And God redeemed us and brought us out and He saved us. Like you'll never forget that. Except that they kind of forget that. And it doesn't even take long. They're out there in the wilderness and one day God goes up, or Moses goes up to speak with God, and he goes up to the mountain, and, and, and um, Moses would go away and just kind of meet with God privately and then come back down and tell the people, like, here are the Ten Commandments, that kind of stuff. Well, the Scripture tells us in Exodus 32 that Moses went up to do that, and, you know, he just took a little longer than they were expecting. So... That's really all it took. He lingered a little bit. The meeting, went, the meeting ran long, as they sometimes do. And, you know, you meet with God, and sometimes it's going to run a little longer than the million people were expecting. And so this is what happens. And while Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God, this is what the people who had been delivered by God and walked through the Red Sea and had been fed every day by God miraculously, this is what they decided to do. Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, "Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him." So Moses lingers a little bit, and they're like, "I, I mean, let's. He could, he may never come back. We don't know what happened to that guy. Um, let's. Their solution is, let's make gods. It's a weird, it's a weird thing, right? Verse two. Keep, keep going." So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. What? Really? This is the... Moses lingers for a minute, a little delay, and they're like, you know what we should do? Get gold, melt it down, form it into the shape of like a calf, an animal, and then we'll say, this is our God. This was the solution. And to be fair, in Egypt, there was a bull kind of that you would worship called Apis. And so that that, that could be very much, they're like, aha, okay, let's Let's go back to those gods that we had back in Egypt and we'll worship them and this will be our, our statue, this will be the thing we go to to worship because you know we don't know about God anymore, we don't know, we don't know about Moses. Um, verse 5, it continues on. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And it, you know, I, I think Aaron's trying to save it here. You know, they've made a golden calf, a statue. And Aaron's like, all right, well, let's build an altar. And uh, by the way, guys, this is for the Lord. You know, he sneaks that back in there. This is, you know, the Lord, the one that, like, brought us out of Egypt. Like, we're going we're gonna to ha- offer something to him because we're not doing the, the, this other God's thing. And uh, verse 7, the, so while that's going on, the Lord says to Moses, and the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you, brought up, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I've commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. That phrase, God says to Moses that the people have turned aside quickly. Like, it just doesn't take long to forget, right? It just doesn't take long. You, one minute, God's showing up, and then a, a week goes by, a month goes by, a year goes by, five years, and you're like, did God ever show up? Is there a God? I don't even remember. I don't, like, how quickly do we just go for anything else that we can find? And they're like, I, God didn't show up. Let's, let's get gold together and build a statue. Um, it's weird. Instead of being faithful, they are forgetful. They've forgotten who did all this for them. And that's why Moses will constantly remind them, hey, don't forget. Never forget. Remember this happened. You see it through the rest of uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, like in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5.15, Moses tells the people, remember that you were slaves. Don't ever forget where you came from, right? Deuteronomy 8, remember how the Lord God has led you in the way, the wilderness, these 40 years. 40 years is a long time. It's most of your life. Remember, God led you the whole way. Deuteronomy 9, 7. Remember this and never forget how you aroused the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness. Man, this golden calf thing, I bet they talked about that forever. They're like, don't forget how dumb that was. Remember when we burned down the gold and we made the bull? And Deuteronomy 32, 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. And you see this all throughout the Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. There's these constant reminders to remember. Hey, think about this. Do do not forget where you came from. You're still Jenny from the block, Israel. Don't ever forget. I just thought of that at the moment. Um, Don't ever forget where you came from because that's how you're going to be faithful now. So remembering, I don't know about you, but doesn't it seem like it's getting harder to remember things in the digital age? Now you're gonna look at me and be like, you're just getting older, Chris. That's why it's harder to remember. And that's probably true. But I do think something's going on out there and it is getting harder to remember. Like when I was young, it was awesome how many phone numbers you could memorize until you don't have to do that anymore. I still forget sometimes and I still like, if I, if I dare to leave a voice message, which is so Gen X of me, um, I sometimes will say my phone number on it. What am I, a monster? I don't understand how the phone works now. Like, they know my phone number, it's right there. Whatever, call me back, it's 804. Like, it's, I don't know. I'm still doing it. I double space after periods, too. It'd hate me. Um, so, so, uh, I, I do think it's getting ar- harder to remember, and um, apparently that is a thing. So neuro- neuroscientists will say that um, memory fades, and there are, there are three reasons why. Or there are three things that go on that, help us to, that make us forget. Number one is called displacement. And displacement means a whole bunch of new facts are going to dislodge the old ones. Right, this is why you can remember who won the Super Bowl in 2018, but you can't remember, you know, your parents' anniversary date or something like that. Like you've got new things, and there's a constant rush of new information coming at you, just a fire hose of information coming at you at all times. New ones, new things come in, and uh, it dislodges the old facts. They just fade away, and you you forget. Um, and you know how that is. And I think with our faith, what happens there is what we understand about God and our knowledge of God gets dislodged and we forget who God is. We just forget. We, oh, I learned about that in Sunday school one time and I remember some story about Noah and there was a, I think there was a Red Sea and Jesus healed and fed 5,000 or was it 4,000 or I don't know, it was a couple thousand, I don't know, remember, he had fish, I don't remember. Like we just, the con, you know, you can't remember that because you're being flooded with information, and you're like, ah, there was a UFO in Montana last night. I don't know, the Red Sea, when did that, I can't, like you just, these things get displaced in our head. Uh, They also, um, neuroscientists also say that we, one of the reasons we get forgetful is something called trace decay, which means um, unless you rehearse a fact over and over, you will eventually, it'll fade away and you'll forget it. So um, you, you actually have to rehearse. You have to tell the story again. You have to, and actually this is good for it, you have to sing it. If you sing it, that actually helps lodge it into your head. But in absence of, of those kind of rehearsing the story, um, it starts to fade over time. There's a, there's a d- decay. And we live in a very hurried society and we're very busy, and one of the effects of that is that we don't really slow down and stop and take the time to reflect and remember and think about what has gone before and think about what it meant. And, and um, we, we go back over those, those we, we don't go back over those memories, and so the new information coming at us doesn't stop, and we end up stop rehearsing the memories of the things in the past and we forget them all together. A third way that we uh, neuroscientists say we forget things is called retrieval failure, where you have it in your memory somewhere. It's lodged in your brain somewhere, but you just can't quite access it. It's like the little librarian in your head is moving around, can't quite find the right shelf where that was placed, right? Um, That's real. Um, and, And I'm I'm sure we've all experienced that at some point. And the reason for that is that the right cues are not available to us to remember the thing. So um, we need certain cues and certain context to bring back the memory. This is why sometimes a smell... We'll bring back a certain memory. Oh, it smells like my grandfather when we used to, and you'll remember being in the garden and whatever. Like a smell will do it, a certain place, a certain time. Oh, I always used to go here, and then we access the memory. This is why when you see someone you know at the grocery store, but you're not used to seeing them in the grocery store, you forget their name. This has happened to me. You forget, and you're like, oh, context, context. I, I have this name, but it doesn't fit here. It's not a Kroger name it's like a church name, or this is someone from school or work or something, right? It's called retrieval failure. So um, why does this matter? Well, because to be faithful to Jesus, we have to remember who he is, who we are, and what we're supposed to be about. Remember who God is, who you are in relation to him, and what your purpose is. This is true in our relationship with God, this is true in our relationship and in, 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 in our striving to be faithful in, in other areas as well. Um, if you're going to be faithful to your spouse, you have to remember your vows. You have to remember what you said before God and everybody on your wedding day. You have to remember what you said and why you, why you said it. Now. Mostly, I mean, it's probably on the internet somewhere what you said, because if ministers use real similar stuff, right? You, unless you wrote your own, in which case, okay, you could probably look that up somewhere. But um, you have to remember those things. You promise in sickness and health for richer and for poorer, you know, until death is part, those kind of things. Um, and that was easy to say on a wedding day when everyone's in a good mood and it's a big party and it's fun and exciting. It's harder to say ten years later when one of you's throwing up and the other one's holding their hair back and um, and you just and the kids are on your last nerve and, and all that. Um, the faithfulness gets tested in those moments, um, and faithfulness is key in in a marriage. You have to remember where you came from, and um, and and you have to show up day after day, every day. You have to be faithful. Um, you can't be, you know, to just put it in this context like. If I said, you know, I'm faithful to my wife 28 days a month, that ain't quite getting it except for February. Like, you're, you're going to have to, like, faithful 28 days a month, it's kind of, it's pretty unfaithful for like three two or three days. Like, that's not good, right? Faithfulness isn't every day, day after day, year after year, decade after decade thing. Um, so to be faithful to a spouse, you remember the promises you made and you stick to them. Um, I've heard it said, maybe you've heard this, we make our promises and then our promises make us. And I really like that. We, we we say, this is what I will do, and then we live by the thing we said that we will do. And over time, that shapes you. That, that sentence, we make our promises and then our promises make us, that is like a life hack. It works for all sorts of things. Uh, make the commitment to, you know... Why would you stay married? Because you made a promise and you want to, and now that promise is making you. Um, Why would you go to the gym to get in better shape? Well, because you made a promise that I'm going to do this thing and then you follow through on that promise and it shapes you over time. Why do you read those books? Well, because you made a promise. You said, I, I'm committing to growing in knowledge and wisdom and I don't want to get senile and I want, to, I want to stay sharp as I get older. I will continue to read. You make that promise. You show up day after day, you, a chapter at a time. You keep reading and you, you, you learn and you, and you grow. Um, so, so remembering... And not forgetting is one of the ways we stay faithful. Another way we stay faithful is um, we, we like physically show up and spend time with, with someone. Like in marriage, for example, one way you remember the commitment you have is to go on dates. That's why people say, oh, you have to have a date night, that kind of thing. Um, you go out with the person and you have fun together and you remember. And what you remember is, why did I like this person in the first place? Um, hopefully you haven't, you can develop an answer to that. Hopefully when you go on dates with each other, you go, oh yeah, you're fun. Like now that we're out of the routine of, you know, handling, the, sorting out the recycling and, you know, like who's dropping the kid off or whatever, like you get out of that and you go, okay, no, wait, like, this is us. This is what we were about. We're, we're, this is fun. Um, you remember those things, but you have to log the time. Um, contempt grows, I think between each other when we stop laughing, stop enjoying each other's company. Um, And I think the same is true with our faith in God. Um, We have to actually log some time. So let me give you two ideas that will help us in faithful, to be faithful, and then we're done. Uh, Number one is this, practice the disciplines of our faith. Practice the disciplines of the faith. Um, I get it. I talk about these things a lot. Uh, you've heard these before. I bet you could guess what disciplines of the faith would be um, praying, reading the scripture, meditating on the scripture, practicing the Sabbath, spending time in silence and solitude to talk to God, um, fasting. Like we've talked about these things before. I'm a, I'm a fan of these things. I, I find them some easier than others. Some of those are really challenging. Um, but you get in, you practice those things. Um, Those are ways that we remember who God is, remember who we are, and remember what we're here for. And those are things that build faithfulness. I wish I had a different solution to give you, but the truth is, there's really nothing new under the sun. Those are very vintage values that have stood the test of time. Sometimes the latest and greatest, just most of the time, it just doesn't work. It's not necessarily an improvement. You can see this physically. I drove by a building the other day in Richmond. I'm not going to say which one in case one of you accidentally designed it, um, accidentally. But I drove by a building the other day in Richmond, and it is a, a building that is less than five years old. And it was a very, very expensive, highly publicized building. And I drove by it, and I was like, oh, that looks terrible. <laughs> and I was like, how does this building look so bad so quickly? Like, I, I mean, built to last, like, this hasn't even been five years. And this building looks really bad. Um, It's just not aging well. Contrast that with Old City Hall on Broad Street downtown, which was built in 1886 and still looks awesome. And I'm like, what are we doing, guys? Like, have we forgotten how to make buildings like that? Like, oh, yeah, but it's hard to get the stonemasons. Let's figure it out because, like, this is what we have to see every day. Like, so we do that in the physical world, right? We think that the new latest and greatest is going to be great, and we ignore the, the, the millennia of knowledge that came before and, and the, the time-tested ways of building something. And I think, I think there's a similar thing with our faith. Our, your faithfulness is not going to be built through, a, you know, an Instagram influencer or a, the, a better YouTube channel or a, the hot new app. Like, our faithfulness is built through, and all of those things could be tools, right? But our faithfulness is, you just, you just have to show up day after day, year after year, decade after decade, through the ups and downs, the hard stuff, when, when times are good, when times are bad, we just keep showing up. Um, it is built through those old vintage sort of disciplines. So practice the disciplines of our faith as a way of remaining faithful. And then secondly, um, I would say this, engage in corporate worship. We have this idea that to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, you can do that, like, alone. Like, oh, I, I mean, I don't need, I don't need to be in church. I don't need other people. I, I have my own faith that I practice, and I have my, my private prayers and all that. And, um, and I, I think you should have your own. I mean, we just did the disciplines of faith, right? And I, and I think you should have private prayers, and I, I, I think all that is good. Um, but uh, there's something about the, the gathering that is powerful. Um, in fact, there's a lot of people right now that are deconstructing their faith. This is just kind of the hot term right now uh, where people are saying, uh, you know, I don't. I don't believe in Jesus the way I used to or I don't, I don't like his church or I, I believe in Jesus more than I ever have, but I don't like the church and I don't like church leadership and all that stuff. And, and I understand where that comes from. But if the idea of deconstruction is to disentangle our faith from maybe cultural baggage of American Western Christianity or something like that, if we're going to disentangle the real faith in Jesus from Western cultural baggage, let me encourage you to disentangle it from this one. Our faith is not supposed to be a solo sport. That's such an American thing your own personal Jesus. That is a myth and a Depeche Mode song, but it's a myth. It is not what, I mean, yeah, you should have a personal relationship with Jesus, absolutely. But it's a corporate thing. It is a we thing as much as just an I thing. We're, we so lean into the I side of, oh, I have faith. This is my faith in Jesus. We lean into that out in a way that the ancient world wouldn't even have understood or a lot of places in the world today wouldn't even understand. Like, no, we're, we're in this together. We, we are building faith together. We are encouraging each other. And this is why it's so important for us to gather as a church. When we get together as a church, we see each other's faces. We hug, if you're a hugger. We, um, we are transformed together. You can be informed through a screen, but transformation is more of an in-person connection Um, And so we gather together as a church on on the first day of the week. Why do we do that? Well, we do it to remember. To remember who God is, to remember who we are in relation to him, and to remember what our purpose is on this earth. I would actually argue that the reason we come together in the Bread Theater, first and foremost, is to take Communion. Like, oh, man, I can do that at home. And I and, you know in circumstances, if you have to be at home or you're maybe watching online, you've got to do that. I, I get that. But one of the reasons we do it every week is I think it's central to what we do. You, we're coming together to be part of the, the common, we have the common union, the, the common body, the bread and the juice. We come together to take these things and we go like, this is something we all are in on. So we take communion together. We pray together. We lift our voices and sing together. We engage the word together. We see each other and encourage each other and say, hey, and listen to each other and pray for each other. We, these are things we all do together. This is, what, um, this is how we uh, remember. And I, and I think there's a, a big piece of faithfulness built in, in here. Um, we, we become faithful when we show up every week and, and do these things together. Just like the Israelites of old were instructed by Moses Remember this, remember this. Or, or even there was a, here's a festival, we're gonna celebrate this every year so you remember this. Here's a feast, we're gonna have that so you remember this. Here's an altar we built of stone so you'll remember what happened right here. Like, those physical things are designed to uh, rehearse the things. They, the Lord was counteracting trace decay and, and those kind of things before ever anyone was a neuroscientist and knew what those were. Um, we gather to rehearse the story again and again. And we, and we do that as a church. This is why we come together. One of the tragedies of COVID, I think, over the last couple of years is that people not getting together regularly, in, in many cases that drove forgetfulness and then it drove people away from church or drove people into disbelief. Um, our faithfulness is fueled by our togetherness. I think that's true. Our faithfulness is fueled... By our togetherness. So be here when, as often as you can. Join a small group. Um, be, you know, Lean in and, 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 and get to know people. Um, it's, an, it's an important thing. We are um, All of us are going to leave a legacy in some way. There will be people who will talk about you at your funeral one day. Um, there will be people who go after you who will remember you. And they're going to say something about you when you're gone. And you're going to say, well, I don't care. I'll be gone anyway. But I think um, what we want people to say, I, I don't think I want people to say Chris was really funny or Chris was really uh, clever or whatever. Um, I think I want people to say I was faithful, that I showed up to the things that, and I made the promises and the promises made me over the course of my whole life. I was faithful to my wife. I was faithful to my children. I was faithful to the Lord. I was faithful to this job, and I think if you're honest about it, you would say the same thing. You would say, that's what I want too. I want to be faithful. So may everyone who comes after us find us as a community to be very faithful. Let's pray. Lord, build faithfulness in us at the very moment when we're tired and we want to give up and we want to quit and we don't want to do it anymore and we don't know if we believe and we don't know what we're going to do and we're, we're, overwhelmed and anxious about meeting with people or anything like that, Lord, help us to be faithful, to just keep showing up day after day, year after year, decade after decade, putting one foot in front of the other and continuing to walk the journey with you. God, thank you for your spirit that lives in us and how he builds faithfulness in us. God, you promised to do that. Uh, we will do our part, but we ask that you do yours and, and work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.